My name is Jake. I'm here with Chase, Sam, Sirius, and a very special guest, Adam Munster-Tiger, is here with us. Adam is uh, the publisher for Buff Stampede. He's been covering the Buffs for 19 years. Um, prior to joining 247 Sports, he was over at Rivals, covering a bunch of different teams from ASU, Virginia Tech, Connecticut, Syracuse, San Diego State, and Washington State. But uh, like I said earlier, Adam's been with the Buffs for 19 years. It's one of the best in the business, so we're very excited to have him on. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hey, thanks for that great intro. Uh, I kind of forgot about some of those early jobs I had uh, back in the old Rivals days. But yeah, it's been pretty much Colorado since 2003, so it's uh, unfortunately seen a lot of bad football, as you guys all know, but uh, this is just unprecedented territory that, that we find ourselves in here in 2023. Sirius, do you want to start us off with the first question? Yeah, sure. So one thing that we like to do when we have a guest on or even when we're introducing ourselves is talk about our origin story. So we all big fan of your work, familiar with it, follow it. But we'd love to hear from you on how you got your start at Buff Stampede and how you ended up going down that path. Yeah, it is kind of an interesting story. So I was born in Minneapolis. We moved to the Phoenix area when I was going into sixth grade. So I kind of have Midwestern roots. That's where a lot of my family's from but spent a lot of my childhood in the Arizona area. And when it came time to, to pick in a college, I wanted to go to CU, but uh, just finances weren't there. I was going to have to pay my way through college. So I had to stay in state. And while I was at Arizona State, I got my foot in the door with different journalism channels and actually started doing some Arizona State basketball coverage. And I was able to elevate that into some other jobs on the rivals.com network this is back in 2002 back when it was just starting and most of the recruiting sites didn't have credentials back at that point they were pretty much just covering recruiting so i was covering recruiting for a lot of different schools you listed off some of them earlier on and it looked like i was going to end up becoming the publisher of the virginia tech site and so I was looking at apartments out in Blacksburg and thinking that that was going to be my future in journalism. And I just happened to mention to my main point of contact at Rivals that I wanted to go to CU. Uh, my family and I went out to Breckenridge when I was a kid and we spent some time in Boulder. And I remember seeing the, the Ralphie license plate and just thinking like, that's where I want to go to school. And so I happened to just mention to my point of contact, if that Colorado job ever opens up, please keep me in mind. And it just so happens, I graduated from Arizona State in May. I was full-time publisher of Virginia Tech starting in June, but I hadn't moved out to Blacksburg yet. And the Colorado gig opened in July, just two months after I had graduated college. So it was just incredible luck. And I came out to Boulder. I'm not going to lie, the first winter, I had a little bit of homesickness just because that, that first winter here, uh, when you're from Arizona, it took a minute to get used to it. And I went back to Arizona after spring ball that year and immediately missed Colorado. So I knew just in a very short period of time that uh, Colorado was home for me and lived in downtown Denver for a while. But now uh, I have three kids, a wife and live in Johnstown. So it's a little bit of a trek to Boulder. So 
that's kind of a long-winded way to, to say how I got here, but uh, it was really luck that, that led me here. I, I'm just so fortunate. Joke about having covered a lot of bad football, but you know, just the people I've met over the years. The experience has been incredible. Wish I could have covered more winning seasons to this point, but everything else has just been just fantastic. Adam, I'm kind of curious, what was it like trying to kind of nudge your way through the door as far as being considered like legitimate by the universities actually giving you press credentials? What was it like kind of getting more access? I'd assume that you got more access kind of the longer you've been involved um, at Colorado. And do you feel like you have better access than than maybe some others that are newer on the scene? Do you, Does that kind of benefit? What has that been like? To the first part of your question there, initially, it was rough. I took over as the publisher, like I said, in July of 2003, moved out to Colorado and was trying to work my way in the door. David Platty, great SID, and, and I've got a lot of positive words to say. Initially, though, it, it was really tough because he had a bad history with Internet sites. There was a, a situation where him and NetBlock NetBuffs clashed for a while when they were trying to get credentialed. And so it was a situation where he pretty much told me, don't try to get credentialed because it's not going to happen. And it just, over the course of the next year and a half, it was just asking Dave, hey, what do we need to do to, to mend this situation? Just so you know, I'm not out here trying to spread bad rumors, but sometimes the less access you have, the more that's going to happen. It's going to lend itself to more speculation. So, uh, over time, he he kind of caved in, and um, I was able to cover the Buffs credential late in 2005. So it was a couple of years of, of working up to that process. And even then, it was still there was a lot of policies in line for internet sites that were credentialed that we had to follow, and it was really challenging. I don't blame David Platy because it was it was new at that time, and he evolved, and and obviously my access has been great ever since. I wouldn't say though that I would get more preferential treatment than anybody, but you know, you, you sometimes grab the mic a little bit sooner in a press conference because you've been around a little while. And, uh, but, you know, aside from that, they, they do a good job of treating all the media pretty equal, as long as you're willing to show up. Now, if you show up only for the big games, you know, you're probably not going to have a credential. You've got to do things like showing up to practice and regular press luncheons. And in that part of it, they definitely take note of that. Hey, these people are around. And that's why at coach prime's intro press conference, they decided, hey, we've got limited time here. Let's let the people that suffered through a one and eleven and were there every day get a chance to ask these questions. And so we definitely appreciate that. But in terms of if you want to show up and cover this team every day, you know they'll give you access as long as uh, you know not to not to say stay in line. It's not like they're censoring you, but uh, don't do stupid things. You know there, there are some people that have have shown up and, and been abrasive and had issues with certain coaches and. Uh, spread bad rumors and then they've had issues but generally it's been just a fantastic experience uh, ever since getting through getting my foot in the door uh, a couple years into this gig. I'm curious Adam how has the access level varied among the various CU coaches and then to follow up on that who has been your favorite CU coach to cover so far? It's kind of gone back and forth but it's pulled more in the direction of things getting closed up over time because there were more programs nationally that would have everything open back in the day. And so it wasn't just CU that started to close up things more and more as time went on. It was a lot of other schools as well. And it really is. You could 
tell every you could ask every Pac-12 writer out there what's your access and you're going to get 12 different answers because every school is going to be based on the SID and the coach and all that stuff uh, so it was pretty much wide open throughout Dan Hawkins tenure we could pretty much watch all the practices and uh, we earned his trust there was a time when Tyler Hansen was clearly running with the first team on scout team and he was supposed to be redshirting and Cody Hawkins was the starting quarterback, and we're all looking at each other because this is a Wednesday going, Tyler Hansen's going to start on Saturday. And we didn't say anything because that was that was the deal. In season, you keep your mouth shut about stuff. Maybe you could ask somebody off the record to the side, hey, is this sensitive? And so uh, Dan Hawkins actually credited us for you know the ability to, to not leak anything that week and, and throughout his tenure there. Now, aside from that, the media's relationship with Dan Hawkins was horrible. Uh, he's definitely the worst uh, coach that I've covered at CU. Um, and it, access has kind of changed a little bit coach to coach. Embry was wide open his first year, closed up his second year. Uh, Mike McIntyre was open early on, and then he started to, to close things up as time went on. Mel Tucker was pretty close. They only had a couple open practices. Uh, Carl Durrell, it was weird with him because of the COVID initially. We didn't even see him in person much for the first year he was on the job. He let us into a few. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's continually gotten more and more closed up. The best coach that I've covered at CU, the person that I'd most want to hang out with uh, would probably be John Embry. But those two years were miserable, especially the second year. They were – it was very similar – this past year where they ranked dead last out of F FBS programs in scoring margins. So that was that 20 what was that 2012 was just a miserable season to cover. But as a person, I, I really liked just being around John Embry the most out of those coaches. Really quickly. I just want to ask, you mentioned the uh, Tyler Hansen Hawkins game. Do you remember, I think that was the Kansas game where Hansen came in for the first time. I know it's a, a super far back. Kansas state. I want to say I could yeah. be wrong. It's just for, for, yeah. for the record, Sam and I both have Cody Hawkins jersey. So that was a heartbreaking day for us. But we just had to you know, <laughs> throw that out there. And uh, I have to say, I said that Dan Hawkins was my least favorite coach that I've covered at Colorado. Cody Hawkins is one of my favorite players, people that I've covered in 20 years. So uh, they kind of have a different personality, both of them. But but Cody was somebody that he he put things in perspective and wasn't thin-skinned and didn't have a big ego i love cody hawk yeah kind of going off of that like you mentioned um, um dan hawk as you mentioned mike mcintyre cu fan remembers like the it ain't intramurals brother or mike mcintyre pulling pull out like the picture of the the buffalo walking into the snowstorm what do you feel like is like the most maybe shocking would be a word or is like you're like what is going on here like what 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 sticks out in your head I'm going to give you guys a good story here. So this is John Embry's second year in Boulder in their final preseason scrimmage. And they don't, they know they don't have a lot of depth on this team. They don't think they're going to have quite the, the bat, as bad a season as they're about to have, but they know that depth is an issue. So this last preseason scrimmage, none of the starters really play and it's third stringer scout team guys that are basically out there for two hours. And so we're covering the scrimmage in the press box, just bored to tears because there, there's not a whole lot to report on. So we go down to the media scrum to talk to John Embry 
and I turned to Brian Howell before John Embry started. And I said, I'll give you $5 if you ask John Embry, if we can get the last two hours of our life back. And so <laughs> John Embry does his, he answers his question and it's getting to the end of it. And Brian just slips it in there. And John Embry pauses for a second. And like I said, I love John Embry, but you don't know how this is going to go. He did lose his temper with the media a few times. So this could go one of two ways. <laughs> And he looked at us and kind of smirked and said, yeah, it was kind of like watching the movie Ishtar, wasn't it? And <laughs> I had never heard of the movie Ishtar, but apparently it's a really bad movie. And it, so it was a good line that he had and Brian Howell got his five bucks. But that, that wasn't a, a negative interaction, but that's one that uh, maybe a lot of fans aren't aware of. That that was a fun moment on, on the beat. Got to be easier ways to win $5 than that, for sure. I am curious, you, you mentioned Brian Howell. Is there kind of a level of camaraderie between people that have been there? Is there kind of a relationship between the press in that way? Or, you know, obviously you're competing as well. So what, what's that relationship like? Yeah, no, it's very cordial. There is so much dead time covering this program because if they say practice ends at 11 on a Tuesday and you get there at 11, there's a chance that they broke early and you're not going to get the interviews you need for that week. And there's only so many of media availability windows in a given week that especially in season, you got to make sure that you're there. So you end up getting there really early just in case they end early. And then sometimes they end late. So you could have an hour where you're just standing there. And sometimes it's during August preseason camp and it's hot out there and there's no shade and, uh, so there's so much camaraderie on that end of it. And, uh, you know, sometimes I wish folks could just kind of hear it's never really overly negative, but it's kind of like the story that I just shared with John Embry and Ishtar. And we'll share a lot of stories from, from over the years. And yes, you want to break news. You want to have a good story, but, uh, you also root for these colleagues because they're doing the same thing you are. It, it very much is a, a coworker vibe because, um, especially in the downtimes, there's so much negativity on Twitter coming at you every day covering this program that sometimes you kind of need that outlet to just crack a smile and laugh and joke about just how unfortunately bad things have gotten at times because sometimes laughter is the best medicine. Yeah, it's been interesting hearing you reminisce on some of those old times with Embry and, and with Hawkins. I was, a, I was a freshman in 2008. And I'm a local. Both my parents also went to CU, so I was always following the program. And I remember in that 2008 freshman class came in very hyped, very highly ranked. And I remember in particular sitting around in the lunchroom in high school with a bunch of my friends following the Daryl Scott recruiting. And, you know, between Daryl Scott and Ryan Miller, that was actually, I believe it was a top 15 class, correct? It was ranked number 15 on rivals. Yep. Nationally. Yeah. So my, my question is, what we're seeing now is heading back in that direction of starting to be in play for some of those guys. But my recollection of that has faded, and it was just as a student, as like a high school student, so my memory's kind of faded. How would you compare that big push and all the hype coming into 2008 versus what we're seeing now with Coach Prime? Back when Colorado was putting together that – 2008 class there was some excitement because they had gone to the independence bowl played alabama they finished six and seven so it wasn't a winning season but that was dan hawkins second year so there was an upward trajectory at that point and 
everybody was really excited. And, and I started to hear rumblings from some of these guys, a lot of it after they signed with Colorado, that if you look at the top of that 2008 class that ranked 15th in the country, not many of those guys ended up even playing at CU. And it was because of off the field issues. You started hearing rumblings of this guy's bad news. Uh, this is not going to go well. And, you know, one guy can throw out there with I mean, it's public record, Lynn Katoa, you know, he was bowlers most wanted there for a minute. And so there were guys in that class that the character component was kind of overlooked a little bit. Not every guy in that class. There were some really, really good people in that class. Uh, I think Doug Griffey was in that class. John Major, a great guy. There was, there was definitely, I'm not trying to blanket that through the whole class, but Daryl Scott didn't have a work ethic. You know, he was just bigger, faster, stronger than everybody in high school. And so he looked like the number one running back in the country. So it, it's shocking that that class was and ended up being as bad as it did, but there were some rumblings in there. I haven't heard that with this. Now, you're not going to have a roster of 105 choir boys. You know, it's not going to happen. You're going to have some issues off, off the field. But generally, Deion Sanders is going to weed out bad eggs. And you've seen it, the behind-the-scenes stuff, stuff that usually we never get glimpses of. You've gotten access to because of Deion Jr., well-off media, reach the people in, in uh, the pregame show. There, there's so much access behind the scenes that you see that, Coach Prime has a lot of savvy. He knows how to package himself to get the most interest looking back at him. And that helps so much with recruiting, but he's not going to deal with a bunch of prima donnas. And so that's one thing that makes me feel a little bit different about recruiting right now than when you look back at that small sample size of the 2008 class. That's really good to know. Really promising because I just remember the, the sheer disappointment of that. Um, although it was exciting to see Speedy Stewart actually beat out Daryl Scott as a no star. Uh, so that, that was kind of fun to see, but overall that, that whole season was just, uh, such a disappointing revelation after the, all the hype in the off season, as you pointed out that Alabama independence bowl and then starting off three, and zero. so, uh, yeah, I've got a funny story about Rodney Stewart, uh, Obviously, they had Daryl Scott that they were waiting on leading up to signing day. He was announcing on signing day. And they had Ray Polk, who ended up playing safety and being a pretty good safety for the Buffs. But he was on board as a four-star running back recruit. I got a call during the Super Bowl that year. It was the helmet catch year with, with the Giants having the, the, the big comeback. I got a call in the middle of the Super Bowl. And Colorado staff at that time was panicking because Rodney Stewart was committing. And they thought if that got out that – it would spook Daryl Scott and he wouldn't end up being a buff because they wanted him too. I mean, he's the number one ranked running back in the country, but they knew they had something special in Rodney Stewart. So I had to sit on that for a couple of weeks. And I remember going home from the Super Bowl that night and putting on the Rodney Stewart film. It was very limited at that point. It, Huddle wasn't around at that time, but his junior highlight film is maybe the best recruiting film I've ever seen. He had a torn ACL his senior year, and that's why he ended up not having a lot of power five options, but for, for a no star or two star, I don't, I don't re remember which he ended up. I mean, you could watch his tape and know that they found something pretty special there. So uh, that, that was just a recollection I had because it was this paranoia that they were going to lose Daryl Scott, but they knew they had to get Rodney Stewart because he was that special. 
Adam, uh, I want to take a step back and just ask you about any mentors in your life. Um, we've seen you mentor, like Ryan Konings Koningsberg comes to mind. Jimmy Searfoss is on your team now. What are some, who are some journalists you can think of that mentored you along the way? Or who are some journalists you look up to? Well, coming on board on the Colorado beat, pretty much fresh out of college. Like I mentioned, I got this job two months after graduating. It was learning from the people that were around on the beat. You know, I was fortunate, again, to get my foot in the door pretty quickly. Uh, to be around BG Brooks was a fantastic experience. And he was probably the one that I looked to the most because my personality is similar to him it, it, is I can get very uh, gregarious when talking about something I'm excited about and covering Colorado football is something I'm excited about. But uh, he did it in a way that was, was humble and, and didn't want, you know, he wanted to break news, but he didn't want to be uh, puffing his chest out ever. And so I, I always liked that aspect to him. Neil Welk was somebody that I definitely enjoyed reading and learning from over the years. Kyle Ringo early on from a sometimes, you know what, in this job, they might get mad at you. But if at the end of the day, you did the right thing, you got to live with that. I learned that through him. Um, being around Brian Howell, you know, he's been, I wouldn't say necessarily a mentor, but, you know, somebody that I look up to in this profession. So a lot of the guys that are around here in Boulder and uh, the, the podcaster I love now is Ryan Rosillo because he has opinions, but it's not uh clickbaity. It's not, I'm trying to draw, draw headlines. He kind of shares his opinion. And it's like, if I don't have an opinion on that, I'm not going to manufacture one. So that's how I try to be is uh, I want to have a lot of opinions and I do, but if I don't know, that's fine. You know, I'll try to find out, or maybe I just won't have an opinion on that particular subject. So Adam, last week we had KO on um, who in our draft segment selected Oregon as his favorite Pac-12 stadium, even though Folsom Field was still on the, on the board. We'd like to know, you've obviously traveled a lot through your job. Is there a certain stadium or place that you really like to travel the best that's, that's part of the job itself? It's tougher for me because it's all about the press box situation and what type of food they're serving and how easy it is to get in and out. Where do they park you? Uh, do they kick you out of the press box right afterwards? Do they have a post-game meal? I'm telling you, Folsom Field is, is the best, and that's if you pulled every Pac-12 rider in terms of the cuisine and the access and even the field view, the press box at Folsom Field, you can really see. You don't need to pull out your binoculars a whole bunch. So some press boxes like Arizona State is so high up there that you're watching the whole thing through your binoculars, and that's hard to do when it's a passing play. And I, I could probably do a better job covering the game, at least just watching it at home on TV than in the press box there. So um, those are some of the – that's a more negative one. I would say Rice-Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City – for, from a media standpoint, has the best view. You know, there's no flat irons, but we don't get to see the flat irons at Folsom because we're with our backs to Folsom uh, to the to the flat irons at Folsom in the press box. So Rice Eccles is a good stadium to go cover a game. Um, Memorial Coliseum was fun to go there th this past year, just kind of the history around there. Um, LA is definitely not one of the best travel trips, just in terms of the traffic. Uh, but like, yeah, so I'm a bad person to ask because it's all about. Are you are we getting fed well? Are we gonna have a good view during in the press box and can we get in and out quickly? And Utah is honestly the best in that regard. So you talked a little bit about Rodney Stewart's tape like blowing you away when you watch it for the first time. 
personally, like I would always watch whatever tape comes out. And like the one that sticks out to me was like Ashad Clayton's highlights. So that was for me. I watched those a hundred times. Like this guy's going to be great. So regardless of what they did at CU, who were some other guys that you watched and you were just blown away by their by their highlights? Yeah, running backs, I think, are always going to be among the favorite videos because they're just basically outrunning everybody for however long their, their highlight reel is. So those are, are some of the best. You know, Daryl Scott really did have some pretty impressive highlights. And that just kind of goes to show you, you have Rodney Stewart, Daryl Scott, in the same class, one guy, and not to say Rodney Stewart was the hardest worker I ever covered in the program, but he came in with a chip on his shoulder, whereas Daryl Scott just didn't really care enough. And so you, you could see how much of a difference that makes uh, from the tape. I'm trying to think back in the day, Rodney Stewart has always been the one that, that stands out. The, the one that I loved getting personally is I used to go down to Columbine's game when Ryan Miller was a five-star recruit at, at Columbine and Littleton. And I would stand on the sideline and just ISO on Ryan Miller. And there were a couple games where he'd get to the second and third level and the defensive player would literally just fall on the, on the ground because they had seen their teammates just getting thrown six, seven yards downfield, land on their back. They're knocked out. He was just unbelievable in high school, a, a man amongst boys and had a nice career at CU and, and played in the NFL for a while. And is, is, um, had some issues as a result of some of the head injuries he he suffered in the NFL, but is doing well in life now. I've been able to keep in touch with him, but that he's my favorite going in person uh, to, to see because uh, he's the only guy I've ever seen defensive players basically throw the white flag and just say it's not worth it for me to to spend the night in the hospital. Another guy that comes to mind is Lavisca Chenault. So he just used to absolutely run over people. And I, I know he, he came in, he was fairly well recruited, but he came in, I believe, as a three-star, wasn't even a four-star. So, you know, in your opinion, how does something like that happen where an obvious physical specimen who has so much attributes and now is actually having a decent amount of success in the NFL, how does he end up getting under well, underrated in that sense? Maybe he wasn't under-recruited, but he's certainly underrated. Yeah, and he was at DeSoto, so there were obviously a lot of eyeballs on him. His teammate, Katie Nixon, also a, a former buff, was a four-star recruit. Uh, I don't know. You know, LaVisca had an offer from Alabama early on. I know there were maybe some thoughts about him not having elite speed. And I think part of that is because LaVisca Chenault gets to where he needs to go, but he's not going to go faster than he needs to go to get there. And there were a lot of clips where he would just kind of scoot in, in, in the – he wouldn't get that separation that some guys get. But it was is because he didn't need to. He already had enough separation to get in the end zone. And I remember his freshman year when he didn't play a whole lot at CU. This is back in 17, I want to say. He picked up the, the, the fumble and outraced everybody. And it was clear at that point, okay, our recruiting analysts kind of missed the ball when they talked about LaVisca Chenault not having breakaway speed because – yeah, it's a special teams play. Maybe you didn't have a bunch of 4-3 guys out there, but you had enough speed out there that had the angle on him and the ability to ch track him down, and they couldn't do it. So that was a, a great first play to all of a sudden go, gosh, that concern about his speed was was way off. But that's not my department. Uh, they do sometimes take our opinion on ratings, and, and sometimes they'll listen to it, sometimes they won't. I try to be as honest as I can. I think I would do a really good job of, giving honest feedback, especially with the guys that are leaving Colorado's program, like 
not to pick on Brandon Lewis, but I think he got an 87 transfer grade. And it's like, well, y'all should have reached out to me a little bit on that one. So uh, I don't have a whole lot of involvement on that side of things. So I can't speak to LaVisca Chanel, but I do remember the analysts back then talking about his speed a little bit, which was, uh, which was a mistake, obviously. So we'll kind of transition now. Obviously the big news, Adam, is that, you know, coach Primus has arrived here at Colorado how does it kind of compare? What has it been like knowing that Colorado was about to make its biggest hire? Um, I'm not sure when necessarily you found out, but what, what was it kind of like finding out that, you know, Coach Prime was coming to Colorado and knowing that, you know, things were probably going to change pretty quickly, uh, a kind of a surprise hire, um, certainly, at least for, for us fans. Yeah, with that, Adam, I'd love it if you could share the timeline from you when you heard out, if heard about it, if you can, but just giving us that backstory. Yeah, so when... I first heard that Deion Sanders was a legitimate candidate to be the head coach in Boulder. Initially, I honestly didn't believe it, even though I felt good about this source. And a little bit of time went on, and the buzz was even stronger at that point. I'm trying to remember the date. I think it was November 18th was I did a new hot board. And even that night, I started – hear more and more through trusted sources. I mean, there weren't a, lot, a whole lot of people that were in the know about it at this point. And uh, SD, one of our moderators, had kind of teased it first because I was apprehensive and I, I kind of followed up and was like, okay, this, this is looking more likely than not at this point. But still, even at that point, there were a lot of things that, that could have fallen apart um, in terms of him getting the job. And then um, was the first to report the day before Thanksgiving that an actual offer had gone out and it was to make him one of the highest paid coaches in the Pac-12. And that's really when excitement ramped up a lot. And then it was that Saturday. So a, a couple days later, maybe even Friday, maybe Friday or Saturday, I think two or three days later is when Bruce Feldman put that out there on the Fox show. And that's when it just got everybody's eyeballs. And so that's kind of the, the initial timeline. It was, it was challenging. It was more reacting than it was thinking about how I was feeling about it really for even the first couple months, you know, even on Christmas, I was, there were three commitments on Christmas. I didn't get a chance to see my family a whole lot then. So it was this great excitement, you know, something, Colorado fans had been beaten down over the years, especially during that one and 11 season. That was just so horrible to tune in and aside from one Saturday, see your team just get blown out. And so it was great to see people excited again and, and see the numbers on our website. It was so exciting, but it was also just one thing after another reporting try to catch up with all the news. Honestly, usually you try to stay ahead and break some news. It was like just trying to stay above water really until early January. And then there was maybe a, a chance to catch your breath. And then the, the Cormani McLean stuff started and then leading up to the elite junior underclassmen weekend. And it was just one thing after another that I did have to take some time the, the weekends after that second signing day and just 
uh, unplug a little bit. And that's kind of when it sunk in just, you know, how big this was because I, it had been unlike anything I had covered up until that point. And I know that it's going to be unlike anything that I cover going, going forward, you know, and, and to, as long as Deion Sanders is the head coach in Boulder, it's going to be a unique experience and one that I won't ever get on this beat again. And one that the fans won't experience again. So uh, just try to, not get overwhelmed by the workload and try to enjoy it as much as you possibly can. Because again, it is so fun to see Colorado fans excited again. And it's crazy that you go on some of these opposing websites, uh, the fan boards for you know, s- some of the schools where they're competing with the recruit and, and co- you know, other fan bases all of a sudden uh, fear Colorado, you know, they might throw a few jabs in there like, well, he's not going to win there anyway. But it's like the, the first time that they've really been in the discussion for these recruits and other fan bases have had animosity towards Colorado in a long time. So, so much has changed since December when he got hired. But really for me, you know, it, it kind of started with Carl Drell getting fired in October and, and kind of covering that transition and the, the whole coaching search. And so it really felt like three seasons that I had covered in, in one and now kind of hot my breath and, and ready to go into spring ball and excited for that. Yeah. I mean, I remember the, the two, four, seven board, uh, there was one for the coaching hire and I got over a hundred pages and just the excitement was on a whole different level. And just to plug two, four, seven sports really quick, but like all of us were glued to the page. Cause if you want buffs news first, it's on two, four, seven sports. But with that, Adam, how do you manage the board and, and keep people in check, I guess, and not, releasing too much info, but also being first to break news. Like how, how do you manage that whole process? Yeah, it's, it's tough. You, you try to be sure about what you're going to put out there, but with recruiting stuff, especially it's so fluid. And sometimes with recruiting stuff, you got to kind of, um, I wouldn't say go with rumors, but you know, if you hear something, you, you probably need to just at least put it out on the message board, maybe not put it in a story, but it's challenging with the team. You're extra careful because uh, yeah, you don't want to burn bridges and and you do, you want to do things the right way. And so it it is challenging. I haven't been perfect in that regard, but uh, over the 20 years, I have a pretty good track record in that sense. There are times the hardest part of this job is biting my tongue because I heard a rumor and somebody wants to know about this situation, but man, I just, I don't feel good about putting that out there or I don't feel a hundred percent, maybe 90% that that's accurate information. So I'm going to sit on it. And that part is, is very challenging at times. Um, yeah. And every time there's a coaching turnover, you're, you're cultivating new sources. And so it, it can be challenging at, at times, but um, yeah, you, you definitely try to, to vet things as best as possible. You're not going to bat a thousand, but when, when you're 90% sure, you better kind of let folks know, I'm thinking, I'm hearing this, but n- not saying that this is definitely going to happen. So try to be as transparent as you can when, when you do that. I got a quick follow-up to that. Um, you mentioned it's it's balancing relationships. How do you balance asking tough questions to head coaches, but also balancing the relationship at the same time? Um so they're willing to be open with you. How do you kind of balance that relationship? It's walking a tightrope. You know, you've got fans that want information on one side, and yeah, you've got the coaches, players, sources on the other, and you try to walk this tightrope 
to get enough from this side to hand to the fans, to make them happy, to, to know that you're doing a good job. Um, and every once in a while, you'll kind of get a nudge from either side. And they're, when, when they're struggling like they did this past fall before they fired Carl Durrell, you know, it was a lot of the nudging from fans of like, you need to attack this guy. And I think sometimes fans don't understand that I view my job as getting information, relaying it, reporting on the, on this program. And if they lose by 40 points, yeah, you might have to ask a tough question, but you're not going to have the emotion and you're not going to have that gotcha moment with the coach that I think sometimes fans want. They just want to see the coach yelled at or just embarrassed in, I don't view that as my job, so I'm not going to do that. And, yeah, there are people on Twitter that when Colorado is in the midst of a blowout loss are hitting me up, like, are you going to grow a spine in this post-game press conference? And it's like, you know, I'm going to ask what I feel comfortable asking. Um, and part of this job and the reason I've been able to do it for 20 years is that um, I don't view this as uh, I need to get this guy today. Uh, yeah, I need to cover him accurately and honestly. And if they suck then say that Colorado sucks right now and be honest about that. And this is brutal to watch. And we had to do that this past year in some seasons in the past. Um, but it's not going to be in a press conference undressing a coach, uh, much to, to the dismay of a few of those fans that really want to just see the coach undress. But I'm just not going to be the guy to do that. So I'm comfortable in this gig this far along to just kind of ignore some of that stuff. Coach Prime is more of a relationships guy. It seems like, you know, based off the videos we've seen, it seems like he cultivates a relationship not only with his players and his coaches, but also the staff around, you know, the university and, and things like that. What is your perception as far as will Prime be able to leverage kind of that relationship factor that he has? Do you kind of expect that that's going to be a, a big role moving forward? And, and how how has he impressed you with those kinds of relationships so far? Yeah, he's so savvy. He knows what gets interest from recruits, what sells the parents. He really is the all-around recruiter. Now, he's not going to be doing as many in-home visits as most head coaches will be doing because he can go on Good Morning America and have an impact and sell Colorado's program there too, whereas a lot of these head coaches can't do that. You know, So he's got – a different level of exposure in which he can recruit, which is different than other head coaches. So he's not going to necessarily have to put in the legwork in terms of the number of hours on the phone, but uh, he's, I think, a better recruiter in person anyways. And we heard so many of these guys that came up for the elite underclassmen weekend. So many guys came through there during that weekend and he was able to make a connection with so many of them. That That's a unique ability that, that he has. And I think when you look across the building, the champion center, you, you see him get the chef involved, you know, in, in things and feel like he's a part of the football program. And he's giving a lot of people exposure that, that didn't have it before. And maybe some of them are uncomfortable with that, but it feels at least from the stuff that we watch that it's in good spirit. And it's just trying to let people behind the curtain and give them a closer look at the program. But, you know, the other thing about Deion Sanders that we've seen with as much access as we've been given behind the scenes with the footage is that he's also no nonsense. He's demanding, you know, uh, you're going to get what he wants done correctly or there's going to be problems. And so uh, he, he really is good from from that side of things of also demanding a lot as well. Now, 
we're in the honeymoon period. So we'll see how this goes going forward. Um, you know, I, I would think most head coaches that were at Colorado, we'd only be talking glowing things at, at this point. So we'll see going forward, but uh, because of his cachet nationally and just how savvy he is, it's hard to imagine that uh, he's not going to do a really good job of just scoping out the situation and, and knowing how to handle each facet within this program going forward. So one thing as alumni, we've been hearing a lot that we've also been hearing help secure Coach Prime at CU is systemic change as far as how athletics are perceived by the school and especially the higher brass. Obviously, Todd Salomon, the new president, clearly has wanted to emphasize this as one of his most important things. How much of that systemic change have you perceived? Do you think it's a real systemic change or is it just a perception? Sometimes the best thing to really wake up a university president and chancellor is to hit rock bottom. We kind of saw that back in, in 2012, and there was more of a recommitment to the football side from Bruce Benson, who was the president at that time. And then we we saw it again this past winter, you know, with, with firing Carl Drill and having those academic changes implemented, allowing it for, for Deion Sanders to bring in transfers. Because, you know, clearly we all know that had they not made those changes, Coach Prime's not in Boulder right now. There's no way he would have sniffed this job uh, if he wasn't able to bring in uh, more transfers than you know, Carl Durrell. You can say what you will about him, but he had to recruit with one arm tied behind his back during his tenure in Boulder. So uh, the president and chancellor, they don't want to have to hear a whole lot about the football program. They want the athletic director, football coach to handle that side of things. But when you go one and 11, when you rank dead last out of, 131 FBS programs in scoring margin like they did in 2012, like they did last year, the president and chancellor get hammered all the time because folks are embarrassed about wearing their CU gear out to the grocery store. And they're, they're frustrated that they can't tune in and tune out on a Saturday and, and get enjoyment by watching their alma mater play without getting embarrassed. And so that's when there's a lot of pressure on folks that would really like to leave it up to the athletic people, but they don't have a choice because there's so much noise coming at them about, you know, how the embarrassing things had gotten. And so that was part of it. And, you know, part of it too, is that Carl Durrell didn't really raise a huge stink to Rick George about this whole issue when he was the coach. So Rick George is hearing all these complaints after myself and Brian had reported on some of this stuff. And he's going like, why are you guys overreacting about this stuff? And then, the more information he got, he realized this really is an issue, uh, especially competing in college football in 2023 when you're going to have to be a player in the portal or you're not going to compete. Stanford can cherry pick a lot of recruits because of the academic standards, but even they're going to have a really hard time, time competing because they're not going to be able to bring in the transfers because of their academic requirements. Colorado, amazing academic school, but it's not Stanford. So don't be putting yourself in the in a situation where you're having to play by the same athletic rules as Stanford, right? So it was a combination of things reaching embarrassment for the football program. Todd Solomon really, really, really stepping up to the challenge. Rick George stepping up to, to, to the challenge and Phil DiStefano not fighting this. And so that's kind of how it came together. Yeah, it's really promising for the alum, especially after the the Carl Durrell firing, hearing from 
from Phil Stefano saying that there weren't going to be any changes. I think that just took the air out of everyone's sails out of that firing. Cause I think all of us knew that this was inevitable, maybe even coming into the season with how many talented players transferred out before 2022 and then seeing the way that it started out and then just hear that there wasn't going to be any change was just devastating. So this has been really promising turning of turn of events for us alum. No question. Yeah, my main takeaway from that press conference after Phil DiStefano had those comments, Brian and I did an analysis video. I think you can still pull it up on YouTube. Our main theme was if they're not going to fix some of this other stuff based on what Phil DiStefano said in that press conference, it's going to be the same thing over again. And so, uh, you know, again, though, maybe the best thing was that Phil DiStefano said that stuff because it drew so much backlash that it really got things changed. I just wanted to ask, you know, kind of speaking of systemic change, um, obviously the the big hubbub these days is around realignment. Uh, we're just kind of curious. We know that you spent some time down at San Diego State. Um, you know, there's a whole lot up in the air as far as realignment goes, but San Diego State has been pretty widely reported as maybe a, an add to the Pac-12. I'm curious what your take is. You know, obviously, San Diego State has changed a lot. Um, in the last few years, but is that a school that you think would be a value add to the Pac-12? It's more of a, a defensive move, it seems like, to keep other conferences out of um, South, you know, South California. But what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it doesn't move the needle a whole ton. But if the Big Twelve is going to expand, it sounds like ESPN wants California part of that expansion, and so uh, San Diego State potentially actually you know, jump one of these other schools in terms of, you know, joining the, the Big 12 going forward. And if the Pac-12 is going to survive, yeah, I think you want that market in Southern California. Obviously, San Diego is not Los Angeles when it comes to that. But having Southern California as part of the Pac-12 going forward just makes sense. And it's enough of a market. They have a new stadium. Uh, the campus is beautiful. And, and, you know, you could host stuff in San Diego. Who doesn't want to spend time in San Diego? So it makes a lot of sense. It's not going to increase that TV revenue number, though, right? It's probably just going to be a break even as far as the numbers go. But uh, breaking even and getting into that Southern California market makes sense, whether it's the Pac-12 or the Big 12 going forward in terms of expansion. And it certainly wouldn't be the worst place to travel to as a fan or a reporter, right? Yeah, you asked me earlier about favorite places to go. I, I already know what my answer is going to be if Colorado's in the same conference as San Diego State. Totally agree. Love that place. Do you want to go visit Waco, Adam? <laughs> I, I find I find something great about every place, but uh, let's just say I'd rather spend some time in San Diego. And, <laughs> we'll, put it, we'll put it that way. My last question that I wanted to ask with March Madness about to start, who's your final four or at least your championship in your bracket? Do you have any uh, hot hot picks on that? Uh, where's my bracket? Uh, I have – who's in my final four? Of Kansas, of course, because uh, I don't want to be kicked out of the, the family here. <laughs> um, uh, my, my main bracket, I picked Alabama to beat Kansas in the championship, and I've got Tennessee and Xavier also in the final four. But uh, we do a family pool. We've got three kids – my wife and I fill up brackets. So there's five of us and we've been doing this for a while now. And there's like a family champion. We have a trophy and there's actually a case in our house that has like a plaque that memorizes who won each year. Uh, I don't have my name on there yet. So don't take my advice. My uh, 11 year old daughter has beaten me. My 14 year old son has beaten me in this contest. So 
my wife has beaten me. So yeah, don't, that, that's probably, you, you probably want to change your bracket if you had what I just said I have. I love that <laughs> tradition. That's awesome. That's awesome. Who's your pick to win it all on the women's side? There's only one right answer here, Adam. <laughs> I love JR Payne. I'm actually going to tune into their games if I can, if it doesn't conflict with spring ball coverage. So uh, go JR Payne. Let's see how they do. For sure. Go Buffs. So with that, Adam, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate the time. Um, had a blast chatting with you. Um, but with that, thanks for listening. We're out.